Hey guys, I'm Young, a full-time dad and a full-time professional with the goal to become the best parent possible. The Girl Dad Show is my journey interviewing fellow working parents aspiring to be both good at work and parenting. I'm gonna do this by gathering and sharing unfiltered perspectives from my guests. So join me as I research parenthood one interview at a time. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today on my uh, podcast and show. Absolutely. Hey, it's a huge honor. And thank you for so much for taking the time. I know you're incredibly busy and I know you got a lot going on uh, protecting the citizens of Mountain View. <laughs> and so I know that it's a very critical time for you. So I appreciate you taking Absolutely. the time. That being said, it's kind of like case in point with your, your uniform on, but I'd love to just tell the listeners what it is that you do for a living. Sure. So uh, my name is Chris Chung. I am the police chief of the city of Mountain View in the Bay Area, or otherwise known as the heart of Silicon Valley, California. And I've been doing this line of work. I'm on my 26th year. So it's certainly a calling. I love it. I think that's how I crossed paths with you back in the day was our connection here that's in Mountain right. View. That's right. I, I loved Mountain View. It was like uh, my fondest memories of Silicon Valley before I moved to Austin was definitely in Mountain View. And I enjoyed that city quite a bit. Yeah, that is where we met. We, we crossed paths in a lot of different community outlets and events. I can't even pinpoint <laughs> which one was the start of it, but there were actually like half a dozen, I think, I so. think that we ended up keep crossing paths too. But you've had an incredibly meteoric <laughs> meteoric rise in, in the ranks of the police department, right? I mean, you've done a quite a bit of roles over the last like even 10 years, um, I think. I think I've just been very fortunate, right? To have the right mentors, the right people uh, who believed in me and gave me the opportunities. And of course, stumbling along the way and learning from those. But no, I, I'm just very grateful for where I, where I am in life. It's incredible. Yeah. And I can't wait to unpack that because I think that there's something to be said about your ability to rise through the ranks and, and achieve uh, you know, this level of success in, in your professional career. But what I'm really interested in talking to you about is how you balance that with being a dad. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I, I'm friends with you on Facebook and mm -hmm. I get to see all the great posts that you, call, you, you post about your kids. And I, I'd love to unpack that with you. But before we get into those questions, are there any big projects you're working on at work that are kind of taking up the biggest part of your mind share? You know, we're always like nonstop just trying to be a better organization, right? I think that's anyone in a role um, at the top, you're always striving to constantly improve. And of course, you know, in, in this day and age where there's a very close microscope on policing and reform, you know, and in some ways we welcome that. You, we have to be accountable and that I have no problem being accountable, but there's a lot of efforts that we try to do internally, externally really engaging with our community and trying to have the dialogue, which is the biggest missing ingredient I think that society has right now, is instead of shouting back and forth at each other, is creating the spaces for dialogue with our local residents. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll say that I haven't been in Mountain View for, you know, over a couple of years now, but I, when I was there, I feel like you played a really big role in implementing a lot of those changes for the police department in Mountain View. When we were crossing paths in the community, you did a lot on a community outlets where there's like open places to talk, interact with police officers, but also on the digital arena, you, you had a huge part in that. And that was really interesting to see that kind of parlay and that kind of like forward thinkingness about like meeting, meeting people in the digital space, you know, and kind of meeting your constituents where they were, to, uh, so mm -hmm. to speak. How has that been progressing? Has that been going really yeah, well? Yeah, it's been great. I think what defines Mountain View as being just a little bit different is, and, and I think it helps that we're right in the middle of all these startups all around us, is we do have a little bit of a startup mentality where we're not afraid to try new things, right? And so giving a case in point, an example, you know, we're, we're on Clubhouse, right? And just trying to jump into those conversations because we, we looked at that 
platform and you go, you know what? It's actually built for dialogue. Whereas the, the you know, the Facebooks or Twitters of the world, you see a lot of rants going back and forth and people shouting at each other through comments, but not a lot of dialogue takes place. Yeah. So we are constantly just looking at what's the next thing out there with the overall strategy of how do we best meet our community where they're at, right? Not necessarily what where our comfort zone is, is where they're going to be, where the conversations are taking place. And so we just want to be present for that. That's amazing. That's awesome. Sounds like a really exciting clubhouse talk. I, please send me the link and I'll put it in the I'll put it in the podcast below so people can check it out as well. And I'll definitely check it out as well, too, because I haven't seen a clubhouse with police officers before. So that sounds already interesting in itself. Do you mind if I switch gears? I don't actually know much about you personally. Do you mind sharing with the listeners who you know about your kids? Like, you know, how many sure, do you have? Sure. Who are they? How old are they? And who do you love the Absolutely. most? Uh, I've lost track. I joke. I, I have four kids. So, you know, my, my daughter is 18. I have twin uh, 14 year old boys and then a 12 year old boy. So certainly we have gone through a variety of phases in life, seasons of life and even overlapping seasons. And I think, you know, especially being a, po a parenting podcast, I think we all know that kids are all different, right? You cannot parent the same or multiple kids the same way because they all come prepackaged with a very different set of instructions. And, and then just when yeah. you think you're mastering it, it's like they're on to the next phase. They've grown out of whatever that is. And so, you know, whatever you want to unpack, I'm happy to use my trials and tribulations to the uh, advantage of your listening audience and, and learn and laugh with us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I'm excited to unpack that. Yeah, because I think that there's a lot of depth there, especially because you had you had twins and you're also a, a mm -hmm. cop. <laughs> it's going to be really, really fun right. to have that level of structure and discipline. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much of that parlays into your parenting. But before we get into that, do you mind sharing with the listeners about your childhood? Like, what was your childhood like and how'd you grow up? So I grew up here in the Bay Area in a small suburb called Newark. And then I moved across the Bay to the peninsula, Foster City. I'm the oldest of two kids, uh, first generation of Chinese immigrants. My sister is six years younger. So I kind of, if you prescribe to the birth order type of thing, I was your prototypical firstborn son who kind of felt like I had to be in you know, in control and in charge of stuff and look after my little sister, but very much uh, kind of suburban, grow up in the Bay Area lifestyle, you know, did the Little League thing, did, knew at the age of probably eight or nine, I wanted to be an officer. And not until high school did that become a reality where in high school, they have a program called Explorers, where you get to basically volunteer at a police department. And I did my time with uh, Foster City PD. And from the first ride along, I just knew right away this is what I was meant to do. Right. And so it was a lot of fun. And, you know, and, and there's pros and cons because you go through high school and college, like already knowing exactly what you want to do, but the path there is the challenge and, and how to get there the quickest. Wow. So you knew what you wanted to do at a really early mm -hmm. age. Yeah. Did you say eighth grade or eight, eight years, years old? old? And that was because our house got burglarized and it was the first time. I mean, I was watching all the TV shows, you know, chips and stuff like that. But our house got burglarized. I just remember that officer showing up and I was so short that I could look up and see his duty belt and his uniform. The vivid memory is how safe I felt. Right? Instantly, it's, you have to go through this traumatic experience. Your parents are all upset. Things are missing and, and house is broken into. And then up pulls a police car. Officer steps out. And it was instantly like, okay, everything's going to be fine. Right? And that's what like eight-year-old me grasped onto, it's like, no, this is exactly what I want, you know, to do is serve in that capacity is make people feel safe, make people feel like things are going to be okay. 
that's an incredible story. That's an amazing origin story of your career. Oh, wow. That like completely changes the way I even think about you. That's awesome. <laughs> and then, uh, so did you ever, I just had a curiosity, did you ever find that officer that came to no, you? No, and, and I, I, I wish I could, right? Because that had to have been in the, ugh, I'm going to date myself, like the mid to late 70s. And, I, you know, I actually tested for that agency like year, decades later. And, you know, I thought even in my head, it's like, wouldn't this be ironic if I ended up working for this police department? So, That's yeah. right. <laughs> Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, hopefully you'll be able to one day yeah, through some sort of like, oh, maybe through this right. podcast. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Maybe that'll be the, the connection piece to, to make you reconnected with that original um, officer that inspired you to become one. That's very, very cool. And then uh, the other thing I was going to say was knowing what you wanted to do from an early onset, did that like also give you the advantages to like kind of gear all of your high school and college towards that direction? I mean, like, that's wild right. to me because in eight years old, I think I wanted to be a police officer too, but I also wanted to be an astronaut the next week. And I also wanted to be, you know, a rock star the week after that. And so it's kind of an interesting thing to be able to like pinpoint that. And I guess it makes it a little more dramatic and more understanding if there was a traumatic mm -hmm. event that solidified that and seared that in your mind. But I'd love to kind of go through like your, your process, mm -hmm. articulating that strategy and rising up through the process of getting your dream to and you know it's 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 ironic because you know we heard a lot this last past month uh, being you know aapi awareness month you know the term model yeah. minority myth right and as i'm listening and learning about these experiences the epiphany that comes to my mind is wait a minute my parents completely bought into the my model minority myth and i was raised with that yeah. kind of like you're going to be an engineer you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor that's those are your choices and so i know in high school i kind of did my due diligence in trying to explore those career paths, but I just couldn't grasp on. I couldn't conceive of the idea of sitting behind a desk all day, which is really super ironic and funny because if you look behind me, this is what I all do all day now. I, I sit at a desk, <laughs> I write emails, and it's not exciting at all. So that's a, that's a really interesting point because you actually did explore the other elements of career capacities, mm -hmm. the typical mm -hmm. Asian story of like lawyer, doctor, engineer, and you just you just couldn't do it. And so it, it could have been part because you wanted, you knew what you wanted, but it also could have been part because you had the, the audacity to like actually want something different. Yeah. That's the beauty of being first generation, right? It's like we get to like change the, change the mold, kind of like redefine that for, mm -hmm. for the future generations. Yeah. I mean, like my parents are the same. They wanted me to be, you know, an engineer, doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And I, and now I want my kids to intentionally be a musician. I, I mean, I, I can't force them, but I, de I desperately want them right. to be artists, mm -hmm. right? I want them to be music, musical mm -hmm. artists. So. It's so fascinating how our, our upbringing impacts our mm -hmm. parenting. Th that being said, how has it impacted your parenting, your upbringing? It's interesting. So like my parents got divorced, at, I think I was 12 or 13. So that has an impact, mm. right? And, you know, they, uh, they fought a lot. They were just verbally always at it, right? And so I, I, it probably shaped me in the sense that I have more of what some might characterize as a quick wit and more humor because that was my outlet is mm. to diffuse and kind of change the situation by being funny or whatever. Right. And I, I see that carrying into my adulthood and how I handle, you know, tense situations or whatever. But, you know, I, I would grow up in my head going, okay, when I get married and I have kids, I'm never going to yell at my kids. Right. I'm never going to do this and that, which is really ironic because, you know, I don't remember like ever needing to yell at my daughter as much because we only had one at the time. But interject twins into this and like 
they're just like, you know, when they get to about the threes or the fours and you're just like, leave it to beaver ideals of what you think parenting is going to be like oh, out yeah. the window, right? Because you, you go from man-on-man offense or defense to zone. You're completely zone defense. You're outnumbered. And, you know, you, you kind of have the rule of acceptable losses at that point because, you know, firstborn, they trip and they fall over, have a little scuff on their knee. It's like, you know, roll out the hazmat crews and the, the first aid. You know, when you have three and you're playing zone defense and, you know, the twins like run into a wall and they have a big owie and you're like, you kind of sitting on your chair, you're like, hey, you okay? Good. No blood. All right, man. And then number four, poor number four is just like, <laughs> hey, twins, can you go check on your brother? Because I'm just tired. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, as you were as rising up the ranks, I mean, did you have the weird schedule? Oh, yeah. Because cause police officers have like funky schedules, right? Yeah. Like, what is that like with parenting? How did your... It was brutal. How did you, yeah, how did you yeah, deal so, with that? Uh, what you might not know, so my wife actually worked at the police department at the time. She was community service officer, records person, dispatcher. And I think when my daughter was born, she was still working the streets out there with me and stuff like that. No problem. You know, we had grandparents. When the twins came along, mathematically, it's just like, there's just no way we can afford childcare for three and have this make any sort of sense. So she, you know, decided to stay home with them and help raise them and then I can remember vividly at the time, I think the twins were newborn. I was a, in the person crimes unit. So we were subject to call outs for detective stuff. And I remember the phone ringing at two or three in the morning and the first per, you know, the person patrol officer called me and said, Hey, really sorry to wake you, Sarge. I was like, Oh, no worries. I'm up. Like we are, we were up feeding the kids. And I just felt so bad for my wife because we were feeding both of them at the time. And I had to leave literally, like I always made a commitment to her and to the kids is anytime she got up, I got up, right? And it's like a team mm. approach. Like, even though there's really not a whole lot dad could do, at least I was gonna show my support, right? Change diapers, whatever. And then to have to walk away from that, right? And that, that's why they, they call, you know, police spouses are special breed because, she, I mean, she understood, she, she worked here before. So she knows these things or even getting, yeah. I can't imagine, I can't remember how many uh, birthdays, anniversaries, special occasions we just miss out on, even kids' birthdays, right? Where you're just like, sorry, at the time it was your pager, but your pager would go off and it's like, daddy's gotta go, right? And that, I think children of law enforcement kind of grow up and understand that even to this day, they wouldn't bat an eye if I just suddenly I get into this mindset where I have to focus, hyper focus on whatever that issue, the critical incident is, and they just know. And then I disappear for a day or two, depending on what's going on. Oh, because you have to follow the case as long as it goes. So there could be days right. where you're just gone. typically it's like a day, day and a half where, you know, even once you get home, you're just so exhausted that you have to like recover and sleep for a little bit. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's wonky, but your kids grow up understanding that. And so what was the turning point? When did they start? Did they ever resent you for it? No, not really. I mean, they, they know, like, I always tried my hardest once you come through the doors to, to leave work at work, right? And I was always hypersensitive to not trying to police them at home, right? You know, at yeah. work in a uniform, if I give an order, it's a lawful order. People have to listen. I get none of that respect. Right now. <laughs> uh, Dad says, you know, whatever, but no, it's, it's really about just getting at their level. I wrestled with all of my kids. You roll around the floor and just be goofy and, and play. And I'm, I'm grew up a Legos geek. And that was great when my, my sons and daughter were, were through that phase. Cause I'm like, oh, great. I finally have the money to buy whatever set I want. I can, you know, even yeah. to the point where I was like, Hey, they're like, dad, can we do the Lego? I'm like, oh, okay. 
There you go. That's amazing. And so when you think about that concept of turning off, then mm-hmm. so you have like almost like a switch. You're like in compartmentalizing your life because you almost mm-hmm. have to. Do you? So how much of like the real world do you actually incorporate into? Because you see, you see like the worst of humankind. I mean, to, I'm just saying it kind of, quite frankly. I mean, like. I did like a brief little like leadership mm-hmm. course uh, in one of the city programs. And it's like really just like daunting to think about police officers getting to see the stuff that the normal right. citizen never right. gets to see. We just get to see the worst of human beings, yeah. right? And so how much of that do you expose your kids to? Because you obviously know a lot more than the average citizen right. does, you know? When they were young. So I'll tell you about when they were young versus when they are now older. And I come, I have come to find that this is kind of partially a little bit of PTSD too, because because you have seen every conceivable way that someone can die or get seriously hurt that you can't you're only human when as a parent you start to be like overly protective hyper vigilant about like oh i don't know if i want them to go ride a bike because i saw a case a couple weeks ago where a kid got hit by a car you know it's it's that and so it's it's almost like you're willing you have to force yourself to mentally just let them fall let them you know, ride their bikes. I, I don't want to rob them of their childhood, right? And so there's a lot of that. And I, even as a detective, one of the worst cases I ever took was a SIDS case, a SIDS death, right? Where a six-week-old died. And the next day I had to go to the, the autopsy, right? And no one should ever have to see that. And at the time I didn't have kids and I was already kind of messed up from that. And so what do you think happens three or four years later when I have a newborn in a crib and do you think I'm like sitting there always checking every few seconds? Is she breathing? Is she that's breathing? Right. right? And, is she breathing? That's and there's right. a certain point where that's normal, but then there's a certain point where that's not normal, not healthy. And I know most officers probably go past that. And then current day, what's interesting is like in the world of police reform, you know, and you talk about all these things. And I, now I hear my kids who are all teenagers talking about this in class. And that's where we start to have more critical thinking discussions about policing and I start to open up about calls I've been on or cases or incidents and provide real life experience to what they're learning in school. And you can tell that their gears are turning, right? They're starting to go, okay, so that contrasts differently than what we see on social media or what we see on the media, what our friends are saying at school. And I try to temper it with, you know, not all cops are perfect and there, you know, no one is. And, and here's why it's important to have ethics and values and professionalism and stuff like that. Oh, wow. So you're basically, you're staggering your exposure to the kids through stages of their development, first and foremost, but you're also like trying to navigate it with tempering it with your own sense of like mental sanity. Yeah. You kind of have to have like a, like a hyper awareness of self-awareness where you are as a parent, what your job is doing to you as a parent, and also the understanding and awareness that your kids are in different stages of what they can hear and learn, right? And we have a saying here at work, which is, it's not what you say, it's what people hear. So you could be like having this high-end talk, but if your kid's not mature enough to really even fathom it, it's just going right over their heads. And now you're frustrated that they're not understanding you. So that's why it's important to just kind of, and it's a moving target. <laughs> like no one ever gets it right, right? right? Just when you think you're you're connected with your kid, they, they're maturing and they're changing, right? And, and they probably don't, settle down until they're in their 20s. That's wild. And so when you when you think about success at work, like how do you like what what do you, how do you qualify success at work and how do you qualify success at home? I kind of mash the two together 
And I will tell my kids, I go, you know, for me to look back on my legacy or whatever, the hard truth about what we do is our careers is that you're all replaceable. We are all replaceable. I could be gone tomorrow yeah. and someone will fill the role, right? And it, this goes back to what you read about, you know, what do you want on your gravestone, right? Well, I would much rather say that, you know, he was a great husband and father, right? So push comes to shove, I'm, I'm going in that direction, always, hands down, right? So. And I remember, you know, my, my dad was absent a lot, so I didn't want to be that absent father. Even when he was home, sometimes he had a newspaper out, right? So I will be that dad who, when my boys are playing video games, I'm in the background trying to make them laugh. I'm like threatening to steal, to take, unplug their mouths and I'm just goofing <laughs> off with them. Or heck, just the other day, like they're, they're wearing their headsets, they're talking to their friends. And I'm like, hey, you forgot your funny, but fuzzy bunny slippers in the bathroom, you know, <laughs> dad, knock that off. And so it's like, trying to embarrass you know, a them, certain yeah. level of goofing off. And did I do that when they were three? No, but hey, they're, they're 14 now. So I'm taking full advantage of messing with their heads. So, <laughs> Yeah. I love it. So it's it's like the idea of like being remembered for what you want to be remembered for. And that's why it's one and the same, because it's like you, you, you want to make sure that you're doing what you think is the most important, which is being you know present with your kids. But isn't that also hard to like justify because you're still on call? It is. Yeah. So if like, quite frankly, when shit, it's the fan, like you have to right, go. Right. Yeah. It, it, that's that's the tough part. It's like they tell you, you know, if there's a giant earthquake here or something. You kind of have to like set your family up. You guys good for the next three days. And then you, you got to go. <laughs> there's a, there's a city of 80,000 people that are relying on you that you show up. Right. And that's, that's really tough or even, and, and you know what? It's not fair to the kids. I remember a trip to Europe that we took a couple years ago. And, and I think almost every law enforcement family has this where if mom or dad, who's the officer says the code word, everyone in the family knows to just shut up and follow directions. Right. And that means it's something that, you know, if we see something or have to take action, they all either need to get down, they need to go into a corner or they need to just listen and don't ask why. <laughs> right. But that's almost every officer has a version of that because it's it's hypervigilance. You're always watching what's going around you and you want to protect. You're naturally inclined to protect. So, of course, you're going to protect your family. Right. That's your most precious thing. And when you're on a vacation and, you know, you're it doesn't turn off. Still, yeah, you're still. Your training mm -hmm. is still there. You're still looking and you're still realizing. And so if that, have you ever done that? Like no. on a trip where you're like, you notice something fishy and you're like. No. <laughs> right. The, the, well, the running joke in our family is we tend to take vacations where there's riots. And it's, I don't know what it is, but it's like we were in Portland and I'm looking up and there's a helicopter and you can hear the loudspeakers are like, okay, we're going to go this way. And then a few years later we went, it was Europe and they were having the, I think it was the raincoat protests or something and our kids are walking and they're like dad my face burns and i look down on the ground i see the scorch mark and i go i know exactly what that is that's tear gas so like we're gonna go this way and then in hong kong we were there um july weekend when they started to have their protests against the government the chinese government and i'm just like laughing at this point it's like where should we go next let's where, where's the state of that's civil right. unrest <laughs> That's right. You know what they, they call that? That means that you guys are the common denominator. You know, it's just like, yeah, take a, take a hint, take a hint, Chris, you know, just stay put right. for a little bit. Okay. The, <laughs> the world's had enough for a little bit. Give it a break. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. So I, I definitely am like very interested in how you qualify the success. So thank you for sharing mm -hmm. that as, as well. But is there any differences in how you think you would have parented if you weren't a, weren't a cop? You know, knowing the evil that's out there certainly 
guided in good and bad ways, right? Your, your parenting and protectiveness, you know, you, any kid wants to have a play date, you kind of check out the parents and everything like that. You're like, are they good people? But I think a lot of non-law enforcement parents do that anyway, but like, because we've yeah. seen how bad it can get has given me a little more wisdom and insight. Like what I try to do when I have these talks with my kids is not to teach them, you know, that term, like teaching them how to fish. So I'm trying to teach them how to fish in life, right? The life skills. And, mm. and, and I give a lot of talks to parents on like social media safety and a natural inclination for a lot of parents is like, take the phone away. I'm not going to let you be on there because it's dangerous. You don't know who you're talking to. My advice to parents in that situation is actually, no, you as a parent should download the same platform and learn it have your kid teach it to you because that's one going to open up a huge world. You will talk and communicate, but what's more important to teach them the life skill of how to navigate that nasty world we know as social media or just to bar them from it. So that once they're on their own in college, they really like are going to stumble into it. And I, I liken it to real life, right? If you're going to go into a dangerous part of town, you know, we, we tell our kids don't go to that part of town. Okay. But at a certain point, they're going to, we're going to let them free, right? I would much rather go with them into that part of town and just, and I told my daughter this, right? Be aware, like as we're walking, walk in the lighted path. Do you see that guy across the street? Okay, if he's coming your way and you're not comfortable, now is a time to go this way or not have your face in the phone, right? That To me, that's the role of a parent is to teach the life skills, right? And even walk them through the failures or walk them through, right? And instead of, you know, in our society, we just tend to like to set rules. Don't do this, don't do that. Well, the kids aren't gonna learn because they haven't tripped, right? And, and in our family, you get to trip a few times. <laughs> and that's okay, because we're gonna pick you up. And so next time you probably won't trip because you've just self-learned what it was, right? Yeah, but I mean, even like the way that you're talking about social media and kind of like a building like a building communication layers at work, mm -hmm. you're, I mean, obviously like it's not a perfect parallel, but there's a lot of, there's not a lot of analogous mm -hmm. to those two right. threads. Like you wanna build that conversation with the community so you can like, educate them on what it is that mm -hmm. you're doing and how you're doing it. You're not saying it's perfect. You're just opening up those lines of communication, right. but you're like basically meeting them where, where mm -hmm. they're at. Oh man, that's really philosophical and deep. I love it. So you are merging your right. work and your, your right. parenting in, in some, some sort of like philosophical deeper layer, you are merging the two things. That's really, really cool. And, and I, I definitely learned something new today because I, I will say I'm, I'm like completely hundred percent guilty of doing exactly what you just said. Mm. Don't do that. Uh, that's going to be bad. And like, you'll know it's, you'll, you'll eventually know it's bad, but it's like, you're right. Like, how would they know it's bad? They're going to know it's bad when, when I let them loose versus like doing it with me. And, uh, and my kids are a little bit younger, so they're not necessarily asking to go to the bad part of town just yet. But, but yeah, like things like riding a bike, even like, right. Just like letting them get hurt and like kind of being there when they get hurt so I can like help them through it and stuff like that. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I'm probably overbearing. Uh, now that you make me sound like I'm like maybe more of a police parent than you are, I guess, in that sense. Yeah. Chris, I know you're incredibly busy, so I just want to make sure that um, I ask you the four questions I ask everybody. So um, we're going to fire off those if you don't mind, then I'll, I'll get you back to protecting Mountain View. Okay. So what advice do you have for other parents and soon to be parents? It'd probably be what I start off with, right? Every parent is different and every kid is different. So there's a gazillion books out there. There's probably one or two out there that fit that combo, that's the right combo for you, but don't lose faith or get frustrated because things aren't working because of what you read or someone you follow on Instagram or something, you know, this advice, it's so unique. I, I, my four kids are so different, right? And had I tried to get them to sleep following 
you know, the Dr. Spock book on sleeping, it probably would have worked for one of them and I would have pulled my hair out on all three. And so we learned very quickly that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a marathon. It's a learning experience for both the parent and the kids alike. But the end of the day, you want to be communicative. You want to have a relationship with your kids as they become adults. I'm going to add an extra question for you just because I'm now just more just curious out of anything. But like if you could give advice to up and coming police officers that are thinking about having kids, what advice would you give them? <laughs> you know, the family comes first. It's very easy to get wrapped up into the job, the culture, um, the fun of catching bad guys. You know, the, the litmus test is if all of your social circles start to become law enforcement, that's a warning sign. You need to be in touch with those outside of the circle because that's who you serve, right? And they are your barometer to when things are going good or bad. And, or if you, in turn, mm. your, your mental or emotional health are going down the tubes, it's the friends outside of law enforcement that are going to spot that, right? And, and I say this in this podcast, especially because it can very much affect your parenting, right? When, when your mental health is bad, your parenting can go down the tubes. And, and I've done it. I've been guilty of it. I had an incredible stressful day at work. I walk in the door. The first thing I say is I look at my son. I think he was 13 at the time. Don't start. I don't need to hear you and your brother arguing. And then I'm like off into another room. And then you're like, holy cow, did I just say that? Like totally unfair hmm. to my son, right? And I apologize later, but yeah. it's like, that's the work encroaching on the home. And you kind of have to make a commitment going in early. You know, you make a vow, family and your spouse comes first. If you could go back and tell yourself one thing before having kids, what would it be? Oh, sleep, man. Bank up that sleep. Oh, I got a real quick story if you have time for it. Okay. Please, yeah, we have so, the time, yeah. When we found out we were having twins, we joined a twin, a, a twin, parents of twins support group. And I remember watching this dad walk in and he looked like he got run over by a train. I mean, it's gross, you know, probably hadn't brushed his hair or teeth. I'm just, and we hadn't had our twins yet. I'm looking at him like, wow, that dude needs to take care of himself. Right. And then our twins get born and uh, they did not sleep through the night for 18 months and they each woke up at least twice. So that means no REM sleep for 18 months for me. Right. And I just remember, like, I think I took like six or seven weeks off of work, but I didn't shave <laughs> and you stop taking care of yourself. And you're definitely not sleeping. And I look in the mirror, I'm like, holy crap, I just became that guy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at that point, that's like, isn't that torture? Like, isn't that what you do when you torture? Probably. I, I perfected the ability. Now, remember, when we had twins, my daughter was three. I could, the brain does really funny things and humans are fantastic at adapting. I could read her a book, but also be taking a nap at the same time. I kid you not. Like, I could like mentally shut down and she'd be in my lap and I would be reading and flipping the page. But really, part of me was also like just so tired that I was on like cruise control or like a sleep mode. Wow, I don't know if I got that, that, but I never had twins, right? And so everyone that has twins says it's like, it's literally like mm -hmm. triple oh, like, yeah. having the yeah. one. And yeah, it's like, mm -hmm. it's gangbusters, yep. right? It's just like unbelievable. Yep. That's a wild story. Thanks for sharing that. What's your favorite all-time business book or leadership book? I really like the Simon Sinek series. It starts with Why Leaders Eat Last and The Infinite Game. There's there, so when he first wrote, starts with Why, that our police chief at the time really embodied that. That was our style anyway. So that became our department culture. And that's, as I promoted through the ranks, that's my DNA was kind of baked with that. So 
very much, you know, leaders eat last and then now the infinite game. If you look at a lot of the police reform issues and the debates going on, that is a finite versus infinite game kind of discussion. And too many law enforcement agencies or leaders I see are, are looking at it wrong. They're looking at it as a finite thing. We got to win this. Like, no, no, no. There's no winning this. We we need to every day just be better and have those dialogues. Right. So, yeah, definitely that series. Oh, man, I love that. What is the most surprising thing that you learned about yourself becoming a parent? You can go without sleep for a long time. <laughs> There's a theme here, right? They bring out the best and sometimes the worst of us, right? And, you know, and, and it's those moments where you, you just have to sometimes... I'll, I'll leave you this. Like The power of an apology from a parent to a child is lost on society. Right. Like I grew up frustrated because mm. my dad never said sorry, even when I caught him, you know, I what right. If you think about that, I think that's where a lot of the rebellion kind of comes up from the kids is that sometimes they spot hypocrisy. Right. So I always knew deep down, I'm like, you know, I'm going to save those apologies. They're key times for learning experience, both for the parent and the child. It's so powerful when you go up to any child of any age and say, you know what, I made a mistake. Because that teaches them a quality of value as, an, as they grow up. I mean, who hates someone else more than someone that can't admit when they're wrong, right? Well, are we surprised then yeah. if we never apologize to our kids that when they grow up to be kind of jerks, right? So that's the takeaway is, you know, we, if we want nice humans interacting with us, we have to model that same behavior no one's perfect. We're all fallible. So, you know, the power of that is even, you know, takes ego away and teaches great values and stuff like that. I mean, this is a definitely a, a parenting focused podcast, but I, I will say this comment just because I think it's, it's like, I'm, I feel compelled to that. I'm like really grateful that mm -hmm. you're the chief of police for Mountain View, because that sentiment is, I think, it's exactly what we kind of need even in the parallel of mm -hmm. the police reform conversation, mm -hmm. right? It's like this conversation that like, it's okay that you're a position of authority. You, you can still be right. wrong mm -hmm. and you can still apologize. It's not that you're wrong. Right. It's, not, it's not that right. you're right. They're, like you said, it's infinite. It's like this conversation that we just need to have mm -hmm. and we need to be okay and open with mm -hmm. it, right? It's not this like scarcity mindset. Right. It's like, can we just have a conversation? Mm -hmm. And so for whatever it's worth, I just mm -hmm. wanted to say, uh, I'm really glad that you're the chief of police there. So, <laughs> uh, well, and now you moved to Austin, so it doesn't really matter as much. So don't take right. it too, don't take it like, yeah, it doesn't mean that much. It even means even less now, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But thank you mm -hmm. so much for being on my show. This was incredibly fun. I feel like I could talk to you for like 20 mm -hmm. more hours, <laughs> but maybe I'll have you on again sure. because this was really, really fun for me. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're incredibly busy, so I really appreciate you spending time with me to talk to us about, yeah, your job and how you be how, how you navigate that with, by, by being a parent as well. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for the honor of being on your show. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Girl Dad Show. We hope you enjoyed that interview. If you want to subscribe to our email list and learn more, you can head over to thegirldadshow.com. Thank you and see you next time.